ladies and gentlemen. What you're about to listen to is an experiment in sound. Call it treating your ears. Oh yeah. This is Charles Roberts III, and now your host, Daniel Bloom and David Ross. Roses are red, violets are blue. I'm David Ross. And I'm Daniel Bloom. Today is Valentine's Day, a celebration of love that many people find saccharine, commercialized, and ungenuine. But we here at Madcap are true romantics, so we're happy to snuggle up to our audience on this heart-shaped day. In 1943, psychologist Abraham Maslow proposed his theory of human motivation, including the now-famous hierarchy of needs. Alongside such favorites as breathing, food and water, sex, 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 took its rightful place as an essential physiological need. Today, we, ever so slowly, pull back the curtain and peer into this often cloistered subject with a woman who turned her own interest of human sexuality into her life's work. Dr. Yvonne K. Fulbright is a PhD, a sex educator, and the author of many books, including The Better Sex Guide to Extraordinary Lovemaking, now available in paperback. Dr. Fulbright comes to us as the sexual wellness and relationship ambassador for the lube company Astroglide. Nice. Also joining us on this panel is Kim Dawson, a good friend of the show and the founder of the podcast Mind Sex Radio. Dr. Fulbright kicks us off by illuminating her commitment to advocating for sexual wellness. Well, sex is so much fun, and it's even better when it's done from a healthy place. Uh, you know, I'm from Iceland originally, and when I moved to the States, I was 10 years old. I was the first girl in my class to go through puberty. Of course, you get a lot of attention with that. Uh, a lot of people sexualize you, even if you're not ready for Absolutely. that. So I was getting a lot of negative messages about my body and the changes uh, versus at home with my Icelandic mother and then my relatives back in Iceland. I was like, oh, this is healthy. This is normal. There's nothing wrong with it. And I gave a presentation to my sixth grade class on the female reproductive system conception and menstruation and their eyes were the size of saucers. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, I found my calling. I need to do this. And I didn't even know who Dr. Ruth was at the time. But that was really the place I came from as far as this is an area of interest because I've, I want people to think in a healthy way about this very important, intricate part of our being. Um, you know, I was only 11 years old, but uh, it just felt like something to be positive about. That sixth grade message, what was part of that? And how did the teacher respond to this message? I'm thinking about that image, too. I love <laughs> the image of you up there just very fastidiously. Is going this, is this a, private, a private schooling? Or no, this was public school, State College, Pennsylvania, of all places. Wow. A central... PA. Okay. And I um, 
wanted to do something different. We were, the assignment was give a five-minute presentation on a system of the body. So you had like five kids doing cardiovascular, five doing digestive. And because I was changing, and I thought this was a really great time to you know educate myself and others. Uh, my parents actually helped me to make the system out of junk because that was the other requirement was you had to just find stuff around the house. So we did like clay fallopian tubes and uterus, <laughs> um, took wool and um, spread it out to then be the cilia that line the fallopian tubes, took metal ball, uh, foil balls for the ova, um, cut up a green plastic jack to be the sperm. Um, but I found out years later that my teacher had to get special permission from the principal's office uh, who did give him the green light. And I'm really surprised about that given everything I've learned about sex ed in this country ever since. Mm. But a lot of kids, that was their real first birds and the bees lesson. And it came from a peer. Yeah. Yeah. Was there a standing ovation? <laughs> no. <laughs> I thought I traumatized one young man who did have his um, desk. You know, that was what I had my project on, especially when I took out the fake blood and squeezed it. <laughs> but, you know, he added me as a friend on Facebook, so I think it's okay. <laughs> he was probably the one kid in the class who got an erection. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Poor guy. Those are the keepers. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so as you talk to people in the United States of America, we know this to be a great country and also an incredibly screwed up country. Yeah. When you talk to people, what strikes you most often about sexual, let's say, dysfunction in America? Well, I will say the biggest question I get from people is around the theme of am I normal? Hmm. Because they want to you know, know if this activity, this fantasy, this urge, you know, is that what other people are into along the same lines? Like, am I having enough sex? Am I having the right type of sex? Um, they're always curious about what the Joneses are doing and they want to be mm. keeping up with them. Uh, but besides that theme of am I normal, the other major area, and that's from both men and women, guys and girls, how can I orgasm, how can I get her to orgasm? People are very concerned about female climax, which is awesome. But unfortunately, a lot of people could avoid seeking out experts if they were getting the proper schooling and if our society was- Yeah, yeah. Our society was just more supportive of equipping people with this information. (laughs) Yeah, speaking of equipping people with information, the internet has completely changed sex. Yes. Has completely changed how people perceive sex. Mm Do you believe that the internet, and this is probably a hard question to answer, has been a net positive or a net negative as far as what you're trying to do in society? Both. And I know that seems like a cop-out answer, but the positive is that there is information out there and that a number of people in the studies that have been done are reporting that they can go to the internet for information and get it in ways that they you know, just couldn't before. Um, and they're actually starting to prefer that resource over parents, which to me is kind of sad, given usually in the past, uh, most young people have said, I, wanna, I want my parents to be my first resource. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now this, the internet's just a lot easier. That said, there's a lot of crap on the internet. There are a lot of self-proclaimed sexperts. There are a lot of people mm-hmm. out there giving really bad advice or who do not know what they're talking about. So the quality control is not there. And you know, you can get good referrals with certain sites. Um, some of those sites are gonna have people that can give you real information, uh, but that's the risk with the internet. What I'm really talking about is pornography. Sure. And how ubiquitous it's become mm-hmm. in people's inner lives and people's outer lives. And what has that done to the sexual populace? Well, a lot of people think that, at least young people think that the way 
porn stars have sex is the way everyone has sex. They think that that's normal. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Because that's what they've seen. And the studies are really mixed as far as though, can that have a negative effect on young people or not? I mean, you've got studies out of places like Sweden, which have pornography as not having a negative effect on them. But then there are also kids that are likely to be exposed to comprehensive sexuality education in the schools. Yeah. So there's socialized differently. Yeah. People do to help them out um, in other ways. Whereas, um, you know, over here, you've got guys who, um, well, I've, I've had people ask, how are babies made if a guy comes on a woman's stomach? They don't know that a penis goes in a vagina and that ejaculate. Then and these are grown men. Yeah, or, or younger men, I would say, like, you know, late teens, early 20s, <laughs> but, uh, you know, with relatively no sexual experience. Okay. Um, what do you consider a healthy amount of porn consumption? I think that's very if individual. If any, David. Yeah. Because people are so Speak different as far as what they're into, what their tastes are. My whole thing is right. as long as it's not interrupting your daily life as far as, you know, that you can't go to work because of it or that you're not getting yourself out of the house well to back. meet people <laughs> or not having sex with your own partner. I've got this issue. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, mobile devices. <laughs> They're not going to keep right. anybody from going to work. But or, you know, if you're spending doing a, work. a lot of money on this keychain. habit. Or money. Sure. Yeah. So it's not for me to judge. For me, I'd actually be more concerned about what you're going for. Mm. And... Um, What's turning you on? Uh, because there has been a lot of debate over you know, what is appropriate porn with the stuff that's very degrading to women or is that kind of extreme fetish stuff where somebody's being harmed or it's non-consensual, being alarming. Uh, most people aren't going for that, though. There's a distinction made, right, between porn and female erotica. Oh, there's a huge distinction. And um, uh, the erotica tends to be more sensual Mm -hmm. in flavor. Um, But there's also a difference between female and male-oriented porn with women going more for storyline and details. Okay. Well, I'm interested in a word you chose, sensual. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you be a little bit more specific? Sure. This is going to be more about um, not what's so explicit, but more what's suggested. So, for example, instead of having a woman spread eagle in like a penthouse, it's more (laughs) of her being in a, you know, teddy kind of thing. Sheer lingerie. I mean, that's one of the reasons why. There's a plot. Yeah. Victoria's Secret is so popular. Guys kind of, you know, and then some women do like to uh, wonder what's behind the curtain instead of... uh, just having it already there to be exposed and, okay. and not fantasize about. There's other things, too, as far as um, the presentation. Is it more artistic versus raw, hardcore? Um, and that could come down to, is it you know black and white subtleties? Is, you know, what's the use of lighting? What's being portrayed? Is it more maybe lovemaking versus... I want to, and I don't know what kind of language I can use here. You can use it, please. <laughs> yeah, I want to fuck. fuck you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... Those are some of the major distinctions, okay. but it's also very value-based. I you know, teach human sexuality, and every semester there's a huge range of what people think is sensual versus sexual or pornographic versus not. Right. Can we talk a little bit about some myths? Mm-hmm. You teach human sexuality, right? Yeah. So aren't there a few myths about the female reproductive system? Oh, there's a ton. More than a few. <laughs> yeah. Very yeah. mythological place. Yeah. <laughs> it is. Tell me. The pantheon <laughs> between my legs. It's Eden, goddammit. It's Eden. Sure. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Go on. Well, you know, one of the biggest ones is that every woman has an erogenous G-spot. The whole debate oh, is, I hate you, that bloody one. do they have a G-spot or not? Yes, every woman has an area of their body that has the potential 
to be erogenous, which it is called the G-spot. Is it Grafenberg or a Grafenberg? Yeah, Ernest Grafenberg was. They the got original. Grafenberg. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But my um, great uncle. He was a rapper, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> he was. He was down with Boogie Down Productions. <laughs> G. Sorry. Oh, yeah, G. They call them G for short. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, just like any other part of the body, does that feel good for every woman? No. It's just like some women have nipples. It's no response when you mm-hmm. play with them versus guys out there who are, are more turned on with nipple play than their wives or girlfriends. So that's a nut, like, you know, erogenous zones and thinking that everybody's going to be the same or respond the same way is one of the biggest fallacies. I love the dichotomy of you know, understanding that it is about the mind. It's not just about the body, mm-hmm. what's going on with sex. Eddie Murphy did a phenomenal take on this about how all men need is some friction and for women to have an orgasm. Which y'all see a lot of other factors come into play with y'all's orgasm. Men just need friction, but women, the stupid shit like the temperature in the room gotta be right and the dude's hair gotta be a certain way and he gotta hold you like this and do this and grab it and flip the pussy over here and grab it like that and move that and lick this and hold that and do that and pop that and move this. It's like putting a little puzzle together. And a lot of women go their whole lives never having the puzzle, the puzzle put together properly. Now, the brain is your biggest sex organ, men and women. It's more You're important than now. what's going on between the legs. <laughs> um, you know, just case in port is that you've got people who are um, paralyzed from the neck down. You know, people cannot feel anything that still report orgasm. And it's mm-hmm. because being in the moment or fantasizing are such turn-ons. You think about nocturnal emissions, you know, what happens to both men and women when they sleep. Commonly known as wet dreams. Yeah. That's all driven by your brain and your body's just responding. Um, so I think we really um, tend to underestimate just how much our brain power can do in stimulating mm-hmm. us. At the same time, I think that we need to give women some slack as far as their need to get out of their head and into their body and to change from working mother to sensual lover. You're listening to Madcap, and our guest today is the Sexual Wellness and Relationship Ambassador for Astroglide, Dr. Yvonne K. Fulbright, a sex educator and author of books such as Touch Me There, A Hands-On Guide to Your Orgasmic Hotspots. Ooh. <laughs> our, our special guest panelist is Kim Dawson, creator of Mind Sex Radio. And now, we delve gently, of course, into a topic we really should have addressed before we made it this far. Foreplay. Yes. How crucial is foreplay? Most of the time it's huge. Turn off the lights. Light a candle. Tonight I'm in a romantic mood. Yeah. Let's take a shower. Uh, you know, research has found Super that 
women need at least 20 minutes of foreplay. And one of the reasons wow. being is that... Been doing like 18. That was shocking. Yeah. 20 minutes. I love it. Yeah. yeah. I dock out of like 15 seconds. Learn something new every day. <laughs> <laughs> well, it takes a while, you know, for some women to get turned on. And How many seconds is that? <laughs> I'm not kidding. Really mad. Kidding. <laughs> but what you're wanting to do is to have the vaginal canal elongate so that she can receive him. She can get wetter. People do it prematurely, especially if they have a partner with a long penis. He's going to be knocking up against the cervix. And some women find that pleasurable, but that can be painful, especially if you're not turned on. Can you explain that elongating? How does that process work? Because I find a lot of women don't know specifically what's happening to their bodies sure, as in they're getting, that moment. Yeah, as they're getting turned on and the blood's engorging the area, what's also going on is that the reproductive system is pulling up. That'll also be like with her clitoral hood, for example. It'll first, you know, kind of cover itself and trying to protect itself from overstimulation, but then it becomes more taut and pulling back, exposing itself, you know, with uh, sexual response. Okay. You know what my favorite part of foreplay is? Storytelling. Yeah. Talk about the importance of storytelling in sex and foreplay. Well, you're working the mind, first of all. Um, it's also planting the seed for ideas. What stories are best? <laughs> well, that's going to really come down to the partner, but I found having yourselves be I'm the Hansel, star, you're Gretel. We're yeah. walking through the woods. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's, Finn. it's nice and easy to go with something that's scripted. <laughs> Finn. I don't want to be Jim. <laughs> I don't want to be Jim. No way, dude. Brilliant. Sorry, go on. <laughs> no, no, no. But it, for people who aren't comfortable bringing up other characters, you know, role-playing is a really great way to go because then people don't feel like as responsible for putting their dirty thoughts out there. Wow. But, um, yeah, having yourselves be the star of the show and more about what I'm about to do to you, and especially things like phone sex or, you know, instant messaging, text messaging, what I'm doing to you right now or what you're doing to me right now, with the more descriptors, the better. And it doesn't have to be dropping the F-bomb every other line. Mm -hmm. Talking dirty can definitely be what does it for some people, but it's more, you know, using those things like juicy, wet, throbbing, um, you know, of course, lots of verbs there, too. Don't you think talking dirty via text can be kind of dangerous? Well, um, it's evidence. Huh? It, it's uh, well, not just evidence. It's, it's admissible it's, in court. I, well, no. <laughs> yes, but, but I feel like I feel like the words are interpreted a little bit different in text as opposed to when they're spoken or... I just think that means you have to be a little bit more creative. Yeah. No sarcasm. Text is not. Text is not. <laughs> I well was thinking sarcasm. actually along the lines of location. Like, what if this person's driving and is like, whoa, yeah, or right. yeah. you know, on the subway suddenly getting an erection and is like, down boy, down, you know. Who was the mayor of Detroit who got Kwame Kilpatrick? He learned. Kilpatrick, they were right outside the door, referring to the mayor's bodyguards. They had to have heard everything, Beatty. So we are officially busted. Ha ha. The mayor, ha ha, damn that, never busted. Busted is what you see, ha ha. Beatty, ha ha, damn. So they have to walk in before you can see busted, ha ha. The mayor, hell yeah, walk in. Talk a little bit about sexting. I mean, this is like a huge phenomenon now among young people. It's really a nice form of foreplay. And so you're pro-sexting. Keeps, yeah, it keeps people connected. But Ooh. I've had students of mine complain... At the end of the day, you know, when we, um, especially if they're doing long distance thing, it's like, what do we, what else do we have to talk about? Mm -hmm. Or, um, you know, so it's a double-edged sword. It can get some people turned on to the point they, you know, have to get all over each other the second they see each other. For other people, it's kind of like, I'm already burnt out. Well, know? the dangerous part, obviously, is if you break up with that person. Yes. 
they've got naked pictures of you all over their phone. Right, which is why you want to not have your face in it, no birthmarks, tattoos, piercings, anything that's identifiable. That is fantastic advice. And sometimes, too, it's, um, you know, name that part can be sexier than Anthony Weiner. <laughs> yeah. Most famous sexer of all. I had hoped to be able to continue the work that the citizens of my district elected me to do, to fight for the middle class and those struggling to make it. Unfortunately, the distraction that I have created has made that impossible. So today I am announcing my resignation from Congress. Like, you know, the side of your hip or your, you know, calf. And it differs depending on the woman, right? Yeah. It's not, there's not one special spot for women across the board. Right, right. Can you talk about how important it is to question your partner about their fantasies, about their desires, about what they want? I wanna lick, 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 lick you from your head to your toes. And I wanna move from the bed down to the, down to the, to the floor. And I wanna, ah, ah, you make it so good, I don't wanna leave. But I gotta lick, 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 know what, what's your fantasy. Well, it's one way to find out what turns them on and to then kind of pick and choose what you guys are comfortable doing, uh, what can be reenacted. I want to get you in the Georgia Dome on a 50-yard line while the dirty birds kick the tree. And if you like it in the club, we can do it in the DJ booth or in the back of the VIP. A lot of people don't want to act out their fantasies. And a lot of people actually find it more thrilling to keep them to themselves and to have that be their own little store of, of secrets that get them turned on when they need that extra juice. Um, so don't be insulted when people don't want to, you know, spill all. And that doesn't say anything about the level of intimacy, per se. Mm -hmm. Just some people like to keep their certain things to themselves. Uh, but it's very important for people to have those conversations about what turns them on, what ideal sexual situations would involve. Because people who are together for the long haul and who are monogamous will report that it's knowing each other, being comfortable with each other, knowing each other's bodies, that kind of sharing and adventure that really make for the thrilling sex over the years, which is why they keep coming back to each other. Well, what do you do when you're polyamorous, when you have little interest, if any at all, in monogamy? Well, they can definitely still have those same conversations, but then you also need to have those other conversations as far as, you know, how are we defining our relationship? Uh, what does it mean to be together versus apart and involved with other people? Maybe most importantly is how do we keep our jealousy in check? Hmm. Because those people who are the most successful at those relationships are the ones that aren't denying that that can be a very human <laughs> component element. Do you find and yourself too. ever giving advice to women who may come in and ask how to properly perform fellatio? Oh, sure. Now I have a book out that's the best ever oral sex for him and then another one for her. People um, want to be really good. At right. I believe all men should aspire to be a cunning linguist. Can you yeah. tell us how to do that? <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, first and foremost, get her warmed up. Don't just zero in on the clit. You need to make sure that her whole body is ready for you, that the vulval area is all attended to. You know, don't be afraid to use toys. Ballet service. Enhancements, yeah. Um, <laughs> find out what other parts she wants to have stimulated as well, whether it's nipple, anal area. Feet. Yeah, Should yeah. I bring ice Doc, into you need this a mix? Bullhorn. Ice could work too, though definitely wouldn't. Uh, and a lighter. 
<laughs> nice. Matches. Wax. Hot wax. Uh, sure, sure. Just test the areas of the skin first. Oh, it's so erotic. That's so erotic. Oh, man. So we've talked about oral sex for females, and what yeah. about oral sex for males? As far as what to do, not to do? Yeah. No teeth. Yeah, that's a huge one, actually. Agree to disagree. Explain that, please. I'm, jo- I'm, I'm completely joking. <laughs> <laughs> there are like, oh, I'm on the fence about teeth, really. that aren't going to be bothered by it, who like it rough, who like nails, you know, scratching, biting. Uh, that might be more venturing into the S&M, you know, field, but... Uh, you grinned. <laughs> when you said S&M, you smirked. Well, that's obvious. Too. That's our obvious next question. I did, too. <laughs> so it's just to talk a little bit about S&M, do you think it's become sadomasochism? Yes. Has it become more acceptable, more accepted, more out there in society? Yes, in recent history. And we're talking very recent, as in Fifty Shades of Grey, with their focus on bondage and discipline and domination. Some people will go a little farther. Honestly, when you look at... The very few studies that have been done on people's sexual behaviors, very few people practice true S&M. We're talking like an Australian study that had less than 3% of the population saying, yeah, we've tried this. Doc, you say that now it's popular, but what about in the days of Marquis de Sade? Oh, definitely. Yeah, sure. No, it's when it was proper to be body. Right. And there there are pockets, you know, throughout history where it's been the in thing. Right. But as far as American recent history, you know, you could say that there were pockets of people in the 70s that would have been uh, into it. And then, of course, certain areas of country where, you know, San Franciscans seem to not blush at the fact that they've got plenty of kink support in their communities. But I think a lot of people are still afraid to go there, um, okay. partly because they don't know what they're doing. They don't want to be silly. They're afraid of being uh, sized up as perverted, both by their partner and other people. They just really need permission, which is what Fifty Shades of Grey did for a lot of couples. And they also gave them the ideas, the storyline, right. and you know what kind of equipment they want to get. So you give that book credit for mainstreaming very recently some of this behavior. I cannot recall another book like it yeah. since I've gotten into this field. How about another cultural product of any kind? Well, that would be the vibrators back in like the mid-1800s. It started out as a, a cure for... Hysteria. Yes. And uh, women... Did? The vibrator. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Women were they flocking were to, to their doctors. hysteria. Oh to get off. Good at tools. They want it to be Calms diagnosed. Calms me down, damn it. Calms <laughs> me down. <laughs> yeah. It does keep me from being crazy. Yeah, yeah. So that's where it got its start. Let's I don't underestimate the biology attached to my lunacy. Or my sanity, for that matter. Seriously. Nor should anyone. I, I noticed the those moments. The whole thing is connected. But I do notice those moments, particularly when it's, I'm just going to say it's been a while. Yeah. And after some time's gone by, I'm a little more stressed. I'm a bit more tense. Mm. I'm quick to jump off. Yeah, talk about that, the physiological effect of sex on one's life. Oh, it is such a stress reliever. Like, even if you initially get, like, a pick-me-up and a high from it, you're going to be sleeping better. You're going to be more relaxed. Uh, Big old smile all over your face. Sure, yeah. And that's whether, you know, it's solo or with a partner or with an enhancement, like a vibrator. Doesn't sex... The process, the entire process from foreplay to penetration, the whole process, doesn't that allow women or create a specific hormone in the brain that will later make them more confident? There's a whole smorgasbord of, you know, chemical reactions. And one of the things that does get released is oxytocin, uh, 500 times more in the female body than the male body. But that's a bonding chemical. So that's one of the reasons, um, you know, couples like 
climaxing. It's so feel good and it has that relaxing effect on us as well. Um, it's also one of the chemicals that's released when a woman breastfeeds. So it helps with that bonding experience as well. Uh, just in general, you've also got the neurotransmitter hormone uh, dopamine. And that's the same. Uh, it, it engorges the brain when you fall in love, which is one of the reasons they say, you know, falling in love is like being on a drug. Mm -hmm. It's a nice high which is one of the reasons why experts then encourage new experiences both in and out of the bedroom when couples are looking to spice things up again. Does fertility always underpin sexual attraction? You mean the desire to procreate? procreate. Yes. Or one being perceived as able to procreate? Well, evolutionary biology would say yes and would argue that starting with who we find attractive with a lot of the research um, on women specifically is like, you know, men are programmed to go for younger women, healthier looking women, women with more of an hourglass figure, uh, women who are still youthful in appearance as in, you know, wide forehead, small tapered chin. I mean, they've done a lot of very it's specific. Also extremely phallocentric. Yes, <laughs> yes. But I would also argue no, because there are people who, you know, same-sex lovers who are not looking to procreate. They know it can't happen. But I mean, even underlying that, my question is not like, oh, it's conscious, like right, this person right. is going to be a good procreative partner for me. Mm -hmm. But what is it that makes us find that person attractive in the first place? Right. And a lot of it's um, still being sorted through. It's even things like um, how does a person smell and the role of pheromones in that. Yes, please know, talk about that. That's a fascinating part of yeah, attraction. Well, you know, the research has found that when women smell sweaty T-shirts, they tend to go for the guys who have more of an immune system that's considered opposite their own. Uh, fascinating. Yeah. yeah. That's supposedly then going to result in uh, healthier children if they would procreate. Did not know this. Mm. You're listening to the Valentine's Day episode of Madcap, and we're joined by Kim Dawson and Dr. Yvonne K. Fulbright, a PhD, sex educator, and author. Dr. Fulbright is shedding some highly educated light on the subject of sex, but we wanted to hear from some everyday folks about their habits too. And to that end, we sent David Ross and Marquise Goodwin into the field for some one-on-one -on -one time with the residents of Washington, D.C. First, they asked people on the street what Valentine's Day means to them. Close your eyes, make a wish, and blow out the candlelight. For tonight is just your night, we're gonna celebrate all through the night. Just thinking about my sweetie, my sweetheart. <laughs> yeah, it's a great day to... Pay attention to your loved one and give them some special attention and some maybe some special card or flower or something to tell okay. them you love them. Well, special for you and your loved one. It's just a day to think about each other and, and do something special. It's a Hallmark holiday. I do nothing. It means a Hallmark holiday. Hallmark holiday? But most days um, are a great opportunity to think about the people you love. Um, it's a day, I guess, about relationships, about love, whatever. To me, honest answer, I try to stay as far away from Valentine's Day as I can because I think it's commercialized. However, my wife does not allow me to stay away from it, so I'm no fool. 
So I treat her on February 14th, to February 14th day. It doesn't really mean anything. Valentine's Day should be like every day. That's what we think. Every day should be like Valentine's Day. Every day is Valentine's Day. Love is every day, right? That's the white man's holiday. Cut it. <laughs> And then, I decided to get really personal, asking these freaky souls to describe the strangest place they've ever had sex. Come on. Let's talk about sex, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that make me. Let's talk about sex. Let's talk about sex. Let's uh, say a, a park. <laughs> a park. Alright, alright, we'll take it. Well, I won't ask you which part, but I'll take that. Thank you, we appreciate it. Uh, bathroom. Bathroom? Alright, we'll take it. Thank you, we appreciate it. Bathroom of an ice cream shop in Barcelona. Good job. Thank you. Come on. Let's talk about sex, baby. That was my colleague David Ross conducting interviews with our fellow citizens about their sexual attitudes and histories. And now, we return to our conversation with sex educator and author Dr. Yvonne K. Fulbright. Our special guest on this panel is Kim Dawson, creator of Mind Sex Radio. We pick up the discussion with one of my favorite topics, self-love. A man masturbating and pleasing himself behind closed doors, how does that help him when he goes out into the streets with another partner? Well, with, with anybody, masturbating can help out as far as discovering what feels good, you know, techniques to show people. For some people, it can also be practicing holding off longer. Kim, the flipping, Kim, Kim goes, endurance! <laughs> <laughs> the flipping, <Mother>. though. <laughs> because so many guys do start masturbating, you know, in, in their adolescent years, and it's often in the bathroom, you know, or in their bedroom, and then it's like, oh, God, who's going to, you know, bust me? So a lot of guys <laughs> actually train their bodies to be pre-ejaculators, and that's when they then have trouble with a partner is that their response and then on top of nerves it's just used to coming sooner than later so you have to be skillful define pre-ejaculation what are the minutes situation we're working with well, here typically it would be if it's more than a couple of minutes or if it's less than a couple of minutes for you to get off uh, but there are people who think that they need to be lasting like porn stars, that they need to be Superman in bed, um, lasting forever. And so a lot of sex therapists are treating people who aren't necessarily like medical textbook pre-ejaculators, who come in with unrealistic expectations. So part of the work is, let's get you to a place that you feel comfortable and you still feel satisfied. It seems to me the, the easy answer is breathing. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any other suggestions or techniques? Well, definitely breathing, like slowing it down, and then 
much like yoga practice mm-hmm. is taking it so that you're sending it to your core as in visualize it going down into your perineum and for men that's that area of skin between where his balls attached to his torso and the anal opening the tickle me elmo area the taint mm-hmm. if you will mm-hmm. <laughs> is it okay to pull out and reassess Sure. In fact, that's often part of the strategy for people who are learning to hold off longer, Um, especially guys who want to participate in tantric sex, because tantric sex isn't just hours and hours of a of a hard on. It's actually riding a roller coaster of sexual moving your orgasm. Yes. Is that possible to move your orgasm from your genitals to another part of your body? People who train are able to do that. And that's often done with the breath and mm-hmm. just expanding the energy with visualization as well. It can happen also accidentally. I know that for me, it happened only once um, years ago. I haven't really tried to refocus to make it happen since, but it was that whole kundalini energy mm-hmm. in the base of your spine and it just rushed up and I saw like all the lights in my chakra system and it went Bless. out and it was just whew, over the moon. Yeah, absolutely amazing. But it, I was just lucky. And it was a you know just right situation at the time. Can't always recreate that and have to make it a hobby. <laughs> and then you can't force it. You mentioned yoga and chakras. Does being a more spiritually connected person make you more? sexually open or adept? A lot of people would argue yes. And that goes beyond religious beliefs. In fact, I think if more people embrace their religion as a spiritual place and not just, you know... Well, I think that would differ depending on the religion Mm because monotheistic religions wouldn't be, Mm -hmm. aren't very encouraging of sexual energy. Right. Except for the Jews on Shabbos. (laughs) Yeah. It's a commandment. She's right. It's very individual as far as that space that you're coming from and, uh, you know, what is practiced and preached but I've, I've found that a lot of people don't practice what's preached and are better off for it indeed uh, can we talk a little bit about being multi-orgasmic yes now if, for those who aren't that way naturally how can you make that happen for yourself well there are a number of techniques one of the th- things uh, being vibrator use when it comes to women they've also found that women who are multi-orgasmic tend to fantasize more they tend to be more into all types of erotica and sexual enhancements in general mm-hmm. in general than more s- sexually adventuresome mm-hmm. i would also encourage people to go beyond the clitoris though clitoral stimulation is required with at least 70 percent of women just for one orgasm but of course that helps with multiple as does finding that g-spot if you can so it's working both areas at the same time and if a woman doesn't have an erogenous g-spot find that other hot spot on her body right. that can have a similar reaction what about squirting Squirting. What about squirting? <laughs> wow, this well, is getting real. I'm so glad we brought Kim Dawson to the show. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Squirting is something that some women have the capability of doing. Not all women are going to. They may also do it. Can they train accident. themselves? Is it possible? Some can. The thing being, be realistic about what you're aiming for. No pun intended. But a Keep lot of. The <laughs> yeah, I, like exactly. that. I picked it up. <laughs> a lot of porn will have women actually squirting urine. They're not squirting pre or they're female ejaculate. So a lot of people are expecting waterworks from their lovers or in trying to, you know, find the right buttons to push and making it happen. And while you do have the occasional like water fountain, you know, squirt or trickle, that gushing is... 
it's really up to the woman and her lover to decide on that. Okay. Champagne yeah. glass. <laughs> I mean, do you do you guys have preferences with that? With with squirts? Yeah. No, I no. I do. You do? Yeah. Preferably often. <laughs> sure. The goal is to make sure that it does happen. Yeah. Well, it's often uh, with G-spot stimulation, and the woman's really turned on. Um, it doesn't necessarily, though, come with orgasm. It could be that peak moment right before she comes. I want to ask you a question about a moment that a lot of people completely disregard until it arrives, and that is the moment directly after sex and what that means for someone. Uh-oh. What do you mean, uh-oh? Uh, we're traipsing into intimacy. We are traipsing into intimacy, I exactly. I love the physiology. That's fine, like fine like man. I mean, we all like to be hugged. This really? Is, I, don't, I, I believe so. That's David, do you like to be hugged post-sex? Don't touch me. Yeah, you don't have post-coital <laughs> affectional needs or affectious needs? I like to make myself a cup of tea, to be honest. <laughs> That's your affection after sex. Well, let's ask the expert. What is your take on the moment after sex? Why is it important? What does it mean to people? Well, for a lot of people, it's about bonding and showing appreciation and keeping the connection that you just had. But for other individuals, it can get, you can get so caught up in your response that it's hard to come out and connect. Uh, or what about regret? There could be that component, depending on you know who you did or how you did it. Uh, I, well, Dan, since we're going to talk about intimacy, then let's go right ahead and get into it. How can one train themselves to get more comfortable with um, being intimate in postcoital moments? Because if you know, for a lot of women who've been single for a very long time, mm -hmm. it's an issue. You get really comfortable with just making sure you don't leave your drawers and you get home before the sure, sun comes up. Sure. Well, for some people, it's going to um, work best to keep the same partner or partners. Um, you know, familiarity is going to help the situation. Other people need to get over any issues they have with sex is dirty because there are people who like to hop up and go take a shower. Right. Uh, then there are people who like to sleep. And for men especially, you know, you're coming down. Your body's programmed to want to snooze just for a little while. So it's understanding he can't help that. Are there things that a woman can do to get, or even a man, uh, to get more comfortable with their partner? Like right after it's over, Sometimes there's anxiety just cuddling mm -hmm. with someone or knowing that it's okay to hold his hand or mm -hmm. to offer him your hand or to offer him your chest. I'd say take it in baby steps. And it would be things like maybe uh, having each other's fingers intertwined or you know just rubbing a person's side or just saying something kind like that was amazing or I feel really good right now. Right. It doesn't have to be rushed all at once because a lot of this is also about trust. I think these are going to be issues, the intimacy issues that come up with being in a post-feminist society. You know, there are a lot of women who are in their 20s, early 30s who have grown really comfortable with their sexuality, really comfortable with having multiple partners, practicing mm -hmm. safe sex, but haven't cultivated intimacy, which is a very significant part of the sexual process mm -hmm. and to being human. Why hooking up has been so popular for Oh, I'm a product of decades. that culture. Absolutely. Yeah. But talk about talk more about hookup culture. <laughs> I mean, how that's become pervasive and what it means for our society. Sure. Well, it's um, often done with people drinking and partying and criticism has been then they're not taking responsibility or they don't need to take responsibility for the intimacy. It's just something that they did and did with somebody and they can move on to focus on their career or school, or basically do everything they want to do for themselves and maintain their individuality without cultivating a relationship. And then when people get to a point that they 
want something more like a family or partnership. Or love. Yeah. A word that we have yet to mention so far in this conversation. Yeah. Then it gets to be really hard because they've established a pattern for themselves. Well, let's talk about love and sex because they don't go in hand in hand. Not necessarily. Boom. And it's often really complicated, I think, because sex is easy and it becomes and you can become very skilled at it. Right. So you get really comfortable learning how to do a few couple things and you can turn yourself out mm-hmm. someone else if you want to and let them do the same. But what about in that serious multiplex called the human heart? Right. Mm-hmm. Like we know it's not there. We know it's not in our chest. It's really a composite of feelings that meet up somewhere in all of us. Mm-hmm. How do we get to that place? with sex because I think we live in a world that separated it a long time ago most definitely and it's almost like love making is the word where people kind of roll Treason, their eyes and right? yawn absolutely and, hot. <laughs> and you know once yeah. again it does go back though to the people who report having better sex in their in love relationships because there's those other components of trust comfortability familiarity and I think it's people having no excuses for what they want out of a relationship and then not tolerating relationships where they're getting shortchanged. Because a lot of people stay in relationships, sexual or not, because they think it's better to be doing something or have somebody than Mm. nothing at all. But ultimately, they're not getting the love component. I've heard people say that too much of anything is not good for you, baby. But... I don't know about that. There's been a times that we've loved and we've shared love and made love. Dr. Yvonne K. Fulbright has taught human sexuality at Argosy University and Penn State and diverse and changing families at American University. She's the author of many books, including Pleasuring, The Secrets of Sexual Satisfaction. My darling, I for more information, visit sexualitysource.com or find her on Twitter at Yvonne Fulbright. Y-V-O-N-N-E-F-U-L-B-R-I-G-H-T. She comes to us as the sexual wellness and relationship ambassador for Astroglide. Before I ever um, had any sort of relationship with Astroglide, I was already a user. I think using lube is a great thing. But there are definitely situations throughout the life cycle where people may need or require lube. And that could be, you know, during pregnancy or while you're uh, breastfeeding or once you've reached menopause. But the really nice thing is that there are so many people, especially younger people, who are realizing that lube is almost essential for better, hotter sex. One of the reasons being that safer sex is more pleasurable when you've got at least a couple drops of lube being used. Uh, But it definitely helps with touch, with technique, with different types of behaviors. Highly recommend it. Dr. Fulbright, thank you so much for joining us here at MADCAP DC. We are extremely grateful. What, was it good for you? It was really good for me. Awesome. I might have to go home and have sex now. <laughs> Let's all go home. <laughs> all right.
You can read her Ask Yvonne column at astroglide.com slash askyvonne. And now, we'll close today's program with a riddle. What's tall, blonde, and red all over? A sunburnt Kate Upton? Well, yes, but the, the correct answer is Jill Holbrook's website. While happy couples cuddle away Valentine's Day, utterly oblivious to the anguish of their single friends, Jill can straddle both sides of the fence, providing hilarious, true stories from her own love life and those of her many contributors. She's a talented writer, a dating expert, and the founder of datingistheworst.com. Between the sheets. We have with us in the studio the lovely and talented Jill Holbrook. She is the editor and founder of datingistheworst.com. Jill, welcome to Madcap. Thank you for having thank, me. Thank you for joining us, Jill. Uh, before, before, <laughs> before we get started, Jill, I bought you a Valentine's present. You did? I did. I have been cleverly hiding it behind my back here, <laughs> hoping that you would not That's see. That's so adorable. I choo-choo-choose you. <gasps> you Choo-choo-choose me? Thank you so much. I feel like that was inside knowledge. I've never gotten a Valentine from a boy. (laughs) This is amazing. There you have it. Thank you. Thinking ahead, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, We can save that for a little bit later. Okay. Thank you very much. Now, Jill, I wanted to have you on this program because A, your blog is fantastic. Thanks. And B, it is the perfect theme for discussing uh, Valentine's Day. So you have been active this week, your blog has been active this week, it and has. you're an expert in the art of dating. And so I wanted to ask you, what do you think is negative about the holiday of Valentine's Day that so many people deride? Oh, everything. Seriously. <laughs> like, you're forced to tell people that you like them, even though you should just tell them anyway. It's super uncomfortable if you're kind of dating someone but not dating someone. It's even worse if you're single and then you have to see that everyone else has someone and you are so alone. What's good about Valentine's Day? Also everything because you get to tell people <laughs> that you love them. Uh-huh. It doesn't have to be romantic love. It can be anyone. Like Dan just gave me these chocolates and it was really sweet. And sometimes, and by sometimes I mean always, my mom sends me a Valentine's Day package. And you can give people those little ones with like cartoon characters on them that say like, I'm crazy for you. And their face looks crazy. Or Bieber. Or Bieber. If I was your boyfriend. If, if I was your boyfriend, <laughs> I'd give you a Valentine. It's great. And also the day after, all the candy is on sale. So datingistheworst.com. This is your blog, and it's stories from your life, stories from the lives of people whom you know and contributors who maybe you don't know. What inspired you to start this great website? I have been on so many bad dates and bad in the sense that they were just like hilarious and I couldn't believe that they were happening and I started (laughs) posting little bits of them on Twitter and Facebook and people kept saying you need to start a blog and finally I went on like the worst one ever and I was like all right I'm gonna do this and it kind of took off what was the worst one ever the worst one ever was the guy with the cats who showed me (laughs) pictures of cats on his phone even though I said I don't like cats and then he went on (laughs) google images and googled cats and then just showed me pictures of them 
He also didn't listen to music or watch TV. This dude sounds like a heartthrob. Like, um, how are you not? He was so dreamy. How, how, how are you not moved by I this? I walked in and my bra unhooked itself. Like, it was perfect. Pillow between the... <laughs> <laughs> you have to put a pillow between the legs to, yeah, to contain it. it was, uh... You know, my favorite guy was the sensual lover. Oh, God. <laughs> my absolute favorite was, was he laid out... What type of love making he prefers? He really put it out there for me. As if this is normal. I mean, but like, <laughs> I mean, he might have. Who knows how many people he sent that to? You know what I'm saying? Can you recount a bit of this story? This I never actually met him. Obviously, <laughs> I'm not crazy. He sent me this man sent me a message on an online dating website, and it it was pretty much like I want to hook up with you, but I want to do it in a sensual way, and I want to give you my full virility. And I was like, Do you want to knock me up? Like, but that's what I don't understand. And he went, very specifically told me what he would like to do. Real intimacy. He real. Was he wanted he wanted real intimacy was, from an online hookup. It was ridiculous. I'm like, my man out here is, is trying to be too poetic too early. Yeah. He's like, you seem like a reader. <laughs> Literary, I assume. I have glasses. <laughs> I must read things. Yeah, right? <laughs> so what do you think? What would you say has been the most satisfying part of starting this blog? I think it's just that for everyone that reads it and they say, oh, my God, I'm not the only one. Thank you. I'm not the only one this is happening to. So there's a sort of a sense of we're all in this together. It really sucks. And we can just laugh about it. Does your family read? Um, not anymore. <laughs> I think there was one where I got a little too in depth about my sex life, and then they just kind of shut it off. But they know it exists, and they have seen it, but they stopped reading it. Do they support yeah. this endeavor? No, they don't. No, they don't. <laughs> too bad, mom and dad. Sorry. <laughs> Some sometimes I'm looking for someone to get under as a, uh, to get over. <laughs> yes. That was a lot. I was like, I was like, yeah. I it's like true that. though. Sometimes <laughs> you need to get under someone to get over someone. Yeah. That's yeah. brilliant. You have a policy of splitting the bill. On, I a, do. on a first date with guys. Yeah. Talk about that. What's the, what's your philosophy behind that that stance? Because one, I can pay my own bills. I All pay the- my I got a job. I pay my own bills. <laughs> Beyonce really like stuck it to me. She's I, a voice. She's <laughs> a voice. Um, <laughs> and I think it's unfair. Like a lot of guys. I I feel get annoyed that they have to pay for everything all the time. I don't think it's fair at all. Even if I don't like them, it's still not fair. Like I drank this, I can pay for what I drank. Is chivalry dead? <laughs> yeah. It is dead. I think so. But that's okay. People don't open the door for you? Sometimes. But but when they do, I'm like, what are you doing? I can do this. I'm fine. So do you want chivalry to be dead? Yeah. Did I chivalry guess, yeah. ever really live? You know what I'm saying? Sure no. it did. When dudes was it, was used to it, ride on horses and whatnot. I'm saying, was it really like thriving in life maybe in like gone with the wind but yeah i just i don't know i i think it's nice to do nice things for other people but i don't necessarily think you have to always open the door or always stand up when a woman stands up and it's like that's just annoying to me what's the last time a man has scooted you in your chair i don't i don't think that's ever happened <laughs> <laughs> damn my game's all messed up <laughs> if someone was bereft of an idea for what to do with their sweetheart or someone they were fancy on on valentine's day what would you suggest I think if you've been together for a little while, maybe cooking them dinner might be nice. Because I think going out on Valentine's Day, like out into the world, might be kind of sickening. But if you can cook them dinner and do something special for them at home, you can avoid all those other gross people and just be together. And if you don't want to do that, I would suggest picking out like some kind of food that they like, whatever it is. Like I really like oysters. Finding some kind of place that serves that, but somewhere they've never been or in a different neighborhood. Um, And then maybe somewhere close, like planets that there's something else close by that you can take them to afterwards. What's your favorite romantic movie? Uh, French Kiss. 
Have you ever seen that? With Kevin Me- Klein? With Kevin Klein and Meg Ryan? I have seen it. Oh my God. I love that movie so much. It's so good because they're such an unlikely pair. And then they get together and all the quotes in it are amazing. Okay, I try to understand. He has met this uh, goddess. He breaks your heart. So you come here to Paris so that he can do it again. Because I love him. Why are you helping me? Because uh, I like you. I do. Now I can see it. There is the goddess standing next to Charlie in her negligee. And you are there on your knees begging. Poor Charlie. Tough decision. The frequency of posts on your blog is inversely <laughs> proportional to the quality of your personal love life. It's true. I have zero inspiration right now because I'm so happy. Which is great. It and, is great. And we're very happy to hear that. Thank you. And my that leads into my next question, which is, what are you doing for Valentine's Day? Um, I don't know. I'm being taken out somewhere, but I don't know where we're going. I baked red velvet cheesecake brownies. Oh, and I got him, I made him a CD, a mixed CD, because I think those are really cute. Who, who, who would you put Does on? Does he have a CD player? I can put it in his car, I He has a disc man, even better. <laughs> he has a Walkman. <laughs> he has a Walkman. Um, would you put on it? Would you Some put on good it? jams. Cisco? I know it. Mm, <laughs> no, but I did put on... Um, Jodeci. You know that, that Beatles song, Why Don't We Do It In The Road? That's right in the middle, because I think it's really funny. That's great. Why don't we do it in the road? I found this book. It's 365 pages, and it's one sex position per day. And then I flagged the ones that I wanted to do. <laughs> Damn. I thought that'd be a good idea. Hell yeah, it's a good idea. Yeah. That's what's up. Yeah. They all kind of look the same. Like, there's, like, six of them that this book rotates and puts different names into, but it still looks fun. Still going to excite him. Right? I yeah. thought so. Yeah, you wanted to, I think you want to do, like, a little sweet and a little sexy. I think. I love it. But this is my first Valentine's Day with someone, so I don't really know. We'll see how it goes. You could have like little stickers on the pages that you like with your face, like thumbs up. <laughs> I want to do this. <laughs> uh, has anyone that you've ever written about on your blog read the post about them? Yes, I'm looking at him right at this moment. <laughs> yes. Blush. <laughs> you and one other, one other guy? Two other guys. One other guy. That I kept in touch with. Well, I took it well. How did they <laughs> take it? <laughs> he was fine. He was kind of like, um, I posted this on my Facebook page before you wrote about me, but now I'm going to take it down because <laughs> I don't want my family to know these things. <laughs> oh, I think I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Oh, that was a really good, that was like a multi. It was a multi, it was a multi Ooh, one. Yeah. That was like reading a damn novel. That was rough. That was a rough period of my life. But see, the rougher the period of your life, yeah. the better the content. Oh no, three of them. The other one, the one from college that like just won't go away. He, I don't know how he read it, how he found it, but he also found it. He was not happy. Because he just won't go away. Because he just won't go away. He was not pleased. Amazing. Mm. Diligence. Yeah, that's it. With it. Yeah. But damn it, that is your right as an artist. Thank you. You're like Taylor Swift. You're I, you're the Taylor Swift of blogging. That's and the you can best qu- compliment I've ever gotten. You can quote me. Jill Holbrook, you are the editor and founder of datingisthewurst.com. People can read your writing there. It's spectacular. You're spectacular. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Because I knew you were trouble when you walked in. It's a shame on me now. Blew me to places I've never been. Special thanks to Jill Holbrook. You can find her work at the website datingistheworst.com.
We also get down on our knees and give gratitude to Dr. Yvonne K. Fulbright, founder of SexualitySource.com, to Kim Dawson from MindSex Radio, found at MindSexRadio.com, to Marquise Goodwin for his recording assistance, to Charles Roberts the third for that wonderful narration, and to Jessica Fitzgerald. You can find links to all our guests' work at madcapdc.org. Happy Valentine's Day. And to our audience, we love you. Stay safe. And happy Valentine's Day. Madcap is recorded in Washington, D.C. Produced by Daniel Bloom, David Ross, and Afim Shapiro. madcapdc.org on Facebook and Twitter at madcapdc.